for example, let's say you're building up this whole life insurance policy, right? And let's say you have $100,000 in cash value in this policy. And now let's say you want to invest $50,000 in real estate. You can go to the policy, borrow $50,000 from the insurance company that it's a part of, leveraging your $100,000 as cash value. And the insurance company, if it's a non-direct recognition company, will keep paying you dividends and interest on your entire $100,000 as if you've never touched it since you're borrowing from a technically a different source. And, and as you are using that money, you're, you're continuously earning compound interest and dividends on a larger amount, which means that you're outpacing the, the cost of capital. You're earning more on your money than you're spending on that money. But only if it's a non-direct recognition company. If it's a direct recognition company, then they will subtract interest and dividends they're paying you because you have an outstanding loan. So it must be a mutual insurance company with the non-direct recognition feature. And I think when you have these two together, you could do a lot more with your money. Welcome to Real Estate Deal Closers with Annette Talee, where we focus on the deals. Our guests are real estate closers who will share in detail the whole process from finding a deal to closing it, as well as strategies and tips to help you do the same. Here's your host, Annette Talee. Welcome to another episode of Real Estate Deal Closers. I am your host, Annette Talee, and my guest today is Sari Ibrahim. Welcome, Sari. Hi, Annette. Thank you so much for having me on. I am very excited to have you because this topic I've been investigating for over two years and I am finally taking action. Uh, but before we start, I want to tell you a little bit about Sari. He is a financial planner and a member of Bank on Yourself organization. He helps real estate investors, business owners, and full-time employees grow safe and predictable wealth regardless of market conditions using a financial strategy that has been around for over 160 years. Sari started his journey when he was a grad in grad school completing his MBA. He worked for companies like Allstate, Blue Cross, Blue Shield, Cigna, HealthSpring, and Humana before founding a financial asset protection, a financial service a firm that focuses on the sole concept of the bank of yourself context and also as the infinite banking concepts. Welcome. And I want to know how did you get into this? Like what sparked your interest when, you know, you decided to focus on it? Yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely a lot of people asking that question because it's such an unusual like field or unusual topic, but it started when I was, um, in the Medicare field. I was a Medicare consultant. I was working with a lot of retirees, people who were like 64, 65 years old, merging off of their employer plans and getting onto their own Medicare plans. And I started to build a, a good relationship with these clients. I would see them every year for their Medicare during the Medicare season. And one of my clients asked me if I could help him with life insurance. And he mentioned, you know, it has cash value, it builds up over time. And I had my life insurance license at that time, but I just never practiced it. I, I didn't know much about that field. So I told him I would do more research for him and I'd get back to him. And I went to Amazon and searched for books about life insurance. And I came across this book called The Bank on Yourself Revolution, which I think uh, you got yeah, it, right? that's the one I have here. <laughs> yeah, that book. And I read it and I fell in love with the book, uh, both from the consumer side, from the client side. And also at the end of the book, there's a part that says if you want to join their program, their bank on yourself professional program. It's like an eight week training program. I went through that, became a bank on yourself professional. 
and then founded Financial Asset Protection, which is a financial services firm. And we, we focus mostly on the bank on yourself strategy. That's our primary niche. And, and to take it a step further, we've, we've even niched further into real estate investors in, in all 50 states. So that's what we're doing now. And I think that um, I really like how the bank, and I'll get into more on what the bank on yourself strategy is, but I, I really like how it mixes really well with real estate investing and, and the, the benefits they bring together. Wonderful. Yes. And I, I agree with that. It has a lot of benefits, but it's not something that is easy to understand at the beginning. So I am really excited to kind of get into it and learn a little. Real Estate Deal Closers Special Edition. Let's start with uh, what is the bank on yourself concept? And then I'm going to ask you, um, how is it different from just a regular infinite banking concept? Yeah, a good question. Yeah. So pretty much the bank on yourself concept, it is the utilization of cash value, whole life insurance. And then pretty much you take it a, a step further. There's three types of life insurance. There's term, whole life and universal. Uh, term is just like the title of it. It's for a set period of time. It's either 10 years, 20 years or 30 years. Typically there's a start date and there's an end date and it's life insurance only. There is no equity or cash value. It's like renting a home. For example. Right, it's like a regular car insurance, right? If you don't use it, you lose it. Exactly, perfectly, yes. Mm -hmm. And then whole life, it has a start date and it's for your whole life. The only way it ends is if you stop making payments towards it or if um, you pass away. And then the second difference is there's equity in the whole life policy. The same way how when you buy a house that you have the market value and you have equity. So you have two things. And then universal, I don't want to get too far into universal, but it's pretty much a combination of term and whole life. Um, but for the purposes of using bank on yourself, it, it must be a whole life policy because you need cash value and it's, it's about your living benefits. It's about using this within your business, using this within your real estate investment portfolio and pretty much, you know, the cash value part of it. So you need the whole life policy. And then you're intentionally funding, overfunding the policy as much as you possibly can to build up as much cash value, because as you build up the cash value in the policy, it earns compound interest and dividends from the insurance company that it's a part of. So that's how the cash value grows over time, eventually outpacing what you've put into it and eventually outpacing the cost of using the money. So in other words, the cost of capital becomes cheaper to use your whole life policy than it does to use cash or other people's money. Wow. All right. So is that the reason why is it such a uh, sexy strategy for investors? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because I think that I've seen this with my clients is there's kind of this like two, there's a dilemma between do I save my cash in a bank account and not earn any interest on it? Or do I invest all of it into real estate and, and earn as much as I can on it? But then both of them have pros and cons. So I think this meets it right in the middle where you have liquidity, you have cash that's earning compound interest, it's earning dividends, and it's also liquid, it's available to it. So, so it's not either or it's not Either I lock up money for 30 years and save it up, or I invest it into real estate or other places. You can kind of combine it together and then do both appropriately and based on your specific situation. Wonderful. All right. So let's let's back up a little bit and let's kind of you know dive into the whole life insurance. Like you gave us the three different ones, but the one that bank on yourself focuses is on the uh, whole life insurance. And when I you know, did my life insurance a uh, few years ago. I think it was before I had kids. Um, you know, they offered me whole life insurance. I was like, nah, nah, I don't need that. So tell us a little bit the advantages of having whole life insurance versus 
um, you know, the term insurance and, and uh, you know, so give us a little bit more uh, for people that are not that familiar with whole life. Yeah, absolutely. So, so whole life insurance, just to be clear, does have like a, a bad name because people always think of it as the more expensive insurance. And it could be that way. The, the bank on yourself strategy is not all whole life insurance. There's about 1200 companies in the, in the US that sell whole life insurance, but only three or four of them can actually do the bank on yourself strategy because there's more to it. So it has to be number one, whole life. And then number two, it has to be from a mutual insurance company um, that gives dividends back, back to the policy owners, as opposed to a stock owned insurance company that gives its dividends and profits back to the shareholders. So it must be a mutual insurance company. There's also something else. It's kind of a, a financial term. It's a non-direct recognition loan versus a direct recognition loan. So for example, let's say you're building up this whole life insurance policy, right? And let's say you have $100,000 in cash value in this policy. And now let's say you want to invest $50,000 in real estate. You can go to the policy, borrow $50,000 from the insurance company that it's a part of, leveraging your $100,000 as cash value. And the insurance company, if it's a non-direct recognition company, will keep paying you dividends and interest on your entire $100,000 as if you've never touched it, since you're borrowing from a, technically a different source. And, and as you are using that money, you're, you're continuously earning compound interest and dividends on a larger amount, which means that you're outpacing the, the cost of capital. You're earning more on your money than you're spending on that money. But only if it's a non-direct recognition company. If it's a direct recognition company, then they will subtract interest and dividends they're paying you because you have an outstanding loan. So it must be a mutual insurance company with the non-direct recognition feature. And I think when you have these two together, you could do a lot more with your money. And it's not necessarily about the, the best type of life insurance. If we're if, if a client is only focused on life insurance only, I would probably recommend to do term and then and then have other strategies in place financially. But for, for more so of building wealth and being able to use it at the same time, this this is I think this is only the whole life insurance could do this, you know, where you can build it, grow it. And it ha- of course it has to be the bank on yourself way. It can't just be any whole life in, whole life insurance policy from any whole life company. Right. So I, I was sharing with you earlier today that when my light bulb went on is when I realized that the bank on yourself strategy is not necessarily a way to invest because at the beginning my brain wanted to tell me I'm going to be making money so this is a way to invest my money right Mm -hmm. but when I realized that this is really a way to save money and not invest so this is not going to be paying you money like an investment it's just gonna it's a better way to save money and have it readily available can you expand on that yeah absolutely good yeah that's good it is a saving strategy and it's not an investment. So it's, and I think it's not an investment because it can't lose value. Um, it can't go, it can't decline in value. However, it's not an investment because as you said, you know, it's not something where you could put, you know, a thousand dollars in and then in a couple months later, walk away with double that. It's not like other investments. It's a saving strategy. It's a long-term saving strategy too. So, you know, I've worked with clients where we'll set up like a 20 year plan. And then for the first, like the first, you know, one to two years, that's when the fees are going to be the highest in the policy, where they could probably see maybe 50% of their premium reflecting the cash value. So if they're putting in $10,000 a year, year one, they might see, you know, $5,000 in cash value. And then year two, they might see a little increase. And then by years three and four, that's when the policy will kind of break even. And then after that, it'll start to outpace. And then eventually after 20 years of paying into the policy, they'll have, you know, three times what they put in. But of course, that's not going to happen in the beginning. It's going to happen later on. 
and it's more of long-term. So if a client is really, really like, you know, if I'm giving you a thousand dollars a month or $10,000 a year, how much do I get right away in the first year? This is probably not going to be a good fit. You know, it's, it's a long-term saving strategy. It's a retirement solution, but also it's not locking up money for 20 years. You, you have access to it. As soon as you start funding the policy, you have immediate access to up to 90% of your cash value. Right. So you mentioned that this strategy is like really good for real estate investors because they have access to capital. But at what stage of your investing would this strategy like be perfect for you? Because you have to put some money into it and you are not going to be able to basically touch it for a couple of years until it grows in value and there is upfront fees, right? Like you're going to pay into the policy because you're getting also the benefit of insurance. It's not just putting money that is going to grow in savings. You're at the same time getting life insurance, which is a benefit. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. Um, so yeah, as you're building up the policy, um, you know, you, there's, a, there's a capitalization period. And I think for different stages, for different real estate investors, it's a mindset shift. So it's almost like in martial arts, how you start off with like a white belt and then you work your way up to a black belt. Same thing with this. So a real estate investor might start off with, you know, a few hundred dollars a month, build up the policy, and then from there be able to use it in connection with a down payment or in connection with, you know, uh, repairs on a home if they're at more of on the active side of investing. And then as they are building up their real estate portfolio and building up the bank on yourself strategy, they can kind of grow both at the same time. And then eventually to the point where they have enough money in the policy to be able to finance a, a property completely, like where they're their own mortgage, essentially. They're like, they'll have, which we have clients that have like $400,000 in cash value in the policy. They'll, they could use all of that to finance a property, you know, and pay it back on their own terms. So it's like, a, it's, you know, again, it's like, it's like martial arts where it's like a strategy, like you start off with white belt, start, you know, and then you work your way up to the point where you're doing more complex and advanced strategies. Uh, and I think that, um, you're never going to jump to like the black belt right away. You could kind of start off and, and to get a feel for it. And we always want our clients to, to understand how this works and understand how, how borrowing works, how paying it back works and how to scale with it, how to, to grow in their real estate, real, real estate portfolio and to kind of grow both together and not necessarily where it's like, all right, if I can't finance a $400,000 property today using my bank on yourself policy, then it's not worth it. I think that that strategy, it's too soon. It's, it's kind of jumping ahead too far. Right. So I, I think that, um, so let's say you have, you know, $10,000 on savings, your emergency fund, and then you have, you know, $20,000 on your long-term savings, and then you have your investments, you know, so which money are you supposed to be using for this? More of the savings, for sure. The, the long-term that... savings. Yes, yes, exactly. Right. Because you know, you don't, you are not going to be able to, to have access to it for a little bit of time, but then it's going to grow. So you keep, you have to have your emergency savings. Don't use that money for, for a concept like this, but you can use your learn long-term. And when, when you, you, when you do your, um, your statement, uh, this is going to show as an asset, right? Mm -hmm. Yes, of course. Yeah. And, th and that's a good point that you bring that up the asset part, because you can, you can use this as proof of your net worth. You can use this if you are getting a loan and the bank wants to know where you got the down payment from the loan from, you could use your policy for that. Even though it's borrowed money, uh, the bank will view it as if you took money from a checking account or savings account. From That's your, your own money. funds. Your own funds. Exactly. So essentially you could finance, you know, hundred percent of a deal. If it's, you know, 80% from a bank, 20% from your policy, 
Um, and then a lot of clients do that too. So it's, it's very creative and you can, again, it's very important how you could use it as, a, as an ad, asset on your balance sheet. A lot of businesses use this too, like outside of real estate, like businesses will use this to prove how much some of the business is worth. If the business has, you know, $100,000 in cash value sitting on its, uh, its balance sheet and the business is, wants to get value, they could use that cash value as part of its valuation. Right. And how, up to how much can you borrow from the policy? What's the maximum that you can borrow? Up to 90% of your available cash value. Of your cash value. So you got to yes. build up that cash value, you know, to make it worth um, borrowing it. But this could be, you know, the way I'm hearing, um, this could be like wonderful for a flipper uh, because they would be able to borrow the money, buy cash, you know, a couple of months, fix it up and then refinance and then put the money back into the uh, into the policy, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Okay. And, and tell us about the how you pay yourself back when you, let's say you do the flip and then you pay your uh, yourself back. You, you know, I know that you can pay what the, whatever you want, basically, because it's kind of paying yourself. So can you expand on that? Yeah, absolutely. So for example, let's say in the example, you have $100,000 in cash value, you borrow $50,000. Now you're borrowing $50,000 from the insurance company. So it's like a personal loan between you and the insurance company. And then you pay it back directly to them. Your $100,000 is still there. You're borrowing against it. And, as, and then you get to pay back the, you get to control the payback period. So there's no specific time you have to pay it back. There's something called paying it back, quote unquote, within reasonable time. That just means like, don't take too long to pay it back. And then think of it also like as if you, if you were financing like a mortgage, it would probably be either 15 years or 30 years. So you can apply the same method to your policy. If you're financing a car, it's typically five years. So the same thing with your policy too. So kind of like reason within reasonable time. And, and then let's say that you were paying, paying it back and then you missed the payment. It's okay. There's no um, consequences for that. It doesn't show up on, there's, it's, this is not um there's no collateral for this. The policy is collateralized on its own. So there's no credit check. There's no credit history that goes into this. You pay back on your own time, on your own terms. And as you're paying it back, your money, of course, is growing. And then you can turn around and, and keep doing that over and over again. Now, as far as uh, the, the, how you control the interest on it, the amount, that's typically between you and the insurance company. It's usually, it's, it's usually set. It's typically 5% simple interest. And if you pay that back over four years, it equals 2% APR interest. So you're earning about five to 6% compound interest on your money, which explains how your, the cost of capital outpaces what the loan is. So it becomes cheaper for you to use your whole life policy to finance these deals than to use cash even, because when you use cash, you can no longer earn compound interest on that money. It's kind of like saying you have a savings account that earns you 5% interest. And then when you go to access that money, any amount you access, let's say you took out $1,000 from that savings policy, you're actually taking out more than $1,000. You're taking out the principal $1,000 plus the loss of opportunity costs you could have earned on that money had you kept it in that savings. So the logical thing to do would be to borrow against you know, the saving strategy at a lower interest rate. This way, you're, not, you're, you're outpacing what you're paying for the cost of capital. And this is exactly what large companies and large banks do is they have you know, massive cash reserves with billions of dollars, they earn compound interest. And then when they need to use that money, they borrow from different sources at lower interest rates. So this way they always have cash and they can always use the cash, but still have it grow all at the same time. And then as far as, and then back to the interest, controlling the interest, what some, what some clients do is they'll say, all right, you know, I am, you know, John Smith personal. And then my business ABC LLC is a separate entity. John Smith is going to loan 
X amount of dollars to the LLC and then pay, you know, 8% interest back to, um, or the LLC is going to pay 8% interest back to John Smith. And this way they, you know, John Smith can say that, um, he earned X amount of interest and pay back. So it's a little bit, it's a little bit complicated, but that's, that's more of a separate strategy. That's more of a tax and, and, and legal strategy that we, we work with accountants and lawyers on the side to that. But as far as to make some, to make it very basic between the loan you use between you and the insurance company is like a personal loan. It's usually a set interest rate that you get to pay back on your own terms. All right, cool. And can you explain, you know, for people that are not familiar, the difference between the compound interest versus the simple interest? Because you are paying back the money with a simple interest, but you are earning the money with a compound interest, correct? Correct, exactly. Uh, so compound interest is, is money on money. It's interest on interest. So if you had, you know, for example, um, 5% compound interest, $1,000 a year, after year one, it would be um, $50, right? And then that $50 would get added onto 1,050 and then you'd get 5% of that and then so forth. So it eventually would compound higher than just $50 a year. It'd end up being more than that. Simple interest, if you took $50, 5% of 1,000, it would be $50 a year maximum until you pay back that loan. So in other words, you can't, simple interest is not compound. It's, it's not interest on interest. And I hope that makes sense. Right. So it's, it's not going to grow the, the, the amount that you borrowed. So you're going to pay $50 every year in the compound interest. You're going to pay more because you are now paying extra. Okay. Got it. That's awesome. All right. So the other question that I have is, you know, so the, there is a tax, you, you mentioned it a little bit uh, earlier. There is a tax component to this also um, that you can save a lot of taxes um, versus doing a 401k or doing other strategies. Can you, can you tell us a lot about that? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, good question. So, so there are a lot of tax advantages with, with, the, with using the bank on yourself strategy. For example, the growth of the money that you're earning in the policy as it's earning compound interest and dividends, that's tax deferred. You don't have to claim those taxes. And then when you go to take that money out, since it is a whole life policy and sent under current tax law, uh, and if you're using after-tax dollars, you could take that money out tax-free, uh, even if there are gains in the policy. So there's a lot of tax benefits there. And of course, the death benefit, the life insurance part is also income tax-free. And then um, as you're using this money, as you're building it up, you could use these after-tax dollars over and over again at, a, at the 0% tax rate. So that means if taxes go up in the future, you've, whatever is in your whole life policy, you've shielded against that increase in tax rates. Now, 401ks and IRAs and 403bs and other qualified accounts are the opposite of that. You would defer taxes. So if you made $100,000 a year and you were putting $5,000 a year into a 401k, you would only pay taxes that year on $95,000. $5,000 gets deferred, goes into the 401k. And then later on, you know, 20, 30 years later, when you retire and you go to take that money out, you're going to be taxed at or near income. Now, the problem with this is that who knows how much tax rates will be in the future. I personally think, and a lot of financial advisors think that tax rates will be much higher in the future based on um, a lot of factors. But uh, to say, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, and, and uh, you know, one thing that I always think, like if you wanna be poor when you retire, then, you know, don't worry about the taxes. But if you wanna be wealthy when you retire, you're gonna be paying more taxes than now. So that means that when you take that money out of your 401k, you're gonna end up paying more taxes than if you just pay them right now. So it really is about your mindset. And like, if you're planning to be poor, then don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, exactly. 
if you are, because think about it, as, as the 401k is growing every single year, we want this 401k to be as large as possible, right? Adventure, it's our money. But at the same time, we're kind of regretting that it's getting so big because every dollar you earn it, you're gonna have to take that out and pay taxes on it in the future. Um, and and yeah. I think that it's, you know, and I'm not saying this because I'm involved in this business, but I think it's, you know, financially wiser to pay on the seeds than to pay on the harvest, you know, pay with the money going in at a lower tax rate right now, and then have it grow forever, have it grow either in your cash value while you're alive or for your death benefit. And of course, we always set up the death benefits to grow every single year. It's not level. It doesn't stay the same every year. It grows every year. So eventually you're converting these taxable dollars that you're paying taxes on into tax-free money, both while you're alive and when you pass away for the next generation. And of course, it's not always, um, the whole life policies is not always tax-free. We just to put that out there, there's something called a modified endowment contract or a MEC. This is when the policy is like a taxable vehicle. And of course we try to avoid this about 90% of the time we're, we're structuring non-modified endowment contracts or tax-free, but sometimes it's intentional. Like for example, if it's usually a single premium case, like somebody's going to put in like $500,000 into a policy or one-time payment, that would typically be a modified endowment contract and the clients on board, their accountants are on board with that, but they still want to do it because of the financial benefits and everything else associated with the infinite banking strategy or the bank on yourself strategy. So again, most of the time we're avoiding taxes, but some, but if there is a taxable vehicle, it's intentional and everybody's aware of this. Right. So you have a, basically what you're trying to say is there's a limit on how much you can put on the policy, right? So that you don't get into this, um, endowment exactly yeah um typically there's something called a seven pay test and it's the, the insurance company calculates the, the average of seven years and then they come up with a maximum like my policy for example when i first started it, i started putting in 300 a month or annual premium of, of 3600 a year and then i had a maximum on there that i could add like up to six thousand six hundred dollars a year for total so i i, I paid 300 a month for the whole year and then the second year when it renewed I paid up the whole year, $3,600. Plus I added the maximum up to the limit, an additional $3,000 to max it out at $6,600 for that year. Now, had I wrote a check for $10,000, um, the policy would probably become a modified endowment contract. And now for the future years, it would I would have to pay taxes on taking out the money and the gains in the policy. Right. Um, so the, the other thing that I liked about it is that even though like you schedule these policies for like 10 years, 20 years that you have to pay, let's say, like you said, $300. If you don't do it, then it doesn't, it, it, I, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, it doesn't matter, but it won't grow as much as if you did. Is that correct? Yeah. So pretty much if you stop making payments, so there's a couple, a couple of things could happen. So if you stop making payments to the policy, then you could start to use the cash value to pay future pay premiums up to a certain point. But of course it's better because every, the, the way the bank on yourself strategy is structured is that it's not all 100% life insurance. It's like sometimes like half life insurance and then half the paid up additions rider, which I'm sure you've, you've heard of by now. Yeah. Since you've, done, since you've done the bank on yourself strategy, there's something called the paid up additions rider. This rider is what grows the cash value. And then more you're able to add to this rider, the more compound interest you'll earn. Because the whole point of like compound interest is money on money. So therefore, if we could add more money onto that money, then we'll get more money. So it's a compounding effect. And yeah, of course, if the, the more you're able to fund the policy, the more 
you'll have in your year, later years to earn. Right. So you're going to be getting free money, basically. But, you know, the way that you need to look at this is this is a, a strategy that is for saving money. Like I said before, it's not an investing strategy and there is going to be a cost to it as well. Um, so just keep that in mind. But, you know, I encourage everybody to, to look into it because it takes time to mm-hmm. process it. At least for me, it took me a couple of years to to jump on it uh, because I didn't understand. And it's a little bit hard to, to understand, to, to grasp the concept the first time that you hear it. So if you are listening today, make sure that, uh, you know, you reach out to Sari. Uh, you, you know, you can read the book. Um, I can put a link on the on the podcast so you can find the book. But you know, it's you know they say it's always better to invest or save yesterday, and the, the next best time is today, right? So, uh, <laughs> you know, now I like now that I understand the concept, I'm like, man, I should have started it two years ago because right now I could be getting all that cash value out. You know, so like like if I started it two years ago, I could have right now, you know. Twenty thousand dollars that I can use for my real estate deal as a down payment or of the as the earnest money, you mm-hmm. know. And then once the deal closes and I refinance, I just put the money back into the the policy and I keep ga- gaining. Even though when you take the money, you're still earning interest. Mm-hmm. So that that's really really cool. Yeah. Um, so how do you like? How do you structure this uh, bank on yourself? Uh, like I want to hear like a, a like a, an example of how would it be um, with numbers because I love to hear numbers. Okay, yeah, good, good idea. Okay, so let's see. So I worked on a case where it was a ten-year policy, so ten annual premium payments, and about fifty thousand dollars a year going into the policy. But the cool thing about this is that it is thirty percent base, seventy percent paid-up additions. So that means every dollar that goes into the policy. Uh, 30 cents is going towards the base premium and then 70 cents is going towards the paid up additions rider. Now this So the, the base premium is basically covering the insurance portion, right? It's covering yes. your life insurance benefit. Exactly. Yes. It's okay. covering the life insurance benefit. And then the paid up additions rider is the, that's, this is the cash turbocharged cash rider. This is what makes the policy grow faster. So the fact that we're able to do 70% in the paid up additions rider means that we're going to build up cash much quicker than traditional whole life policies. It also means that there's a lot of flexibility here. So now this client is putting in $50,000 a year and um, forgive my math, but that comes out to about $15,000 a year in base, right? About 130% of that. And then the rest of it, $35,000 is going towards the paid up additions rider. This is flexible. So let's say this client is a real estate investor. And let's say that he, sometimes he has better years than other years. He can meet the minimum of $15,000 in base. And then if he does have the windfall, he could put in 30,000, 35, up, up to $35,000 to max out the policy, to grow all that compound interest. But now let's say that one year he skips, he says he only has $15,000 to pay for the base. And then he doesn't have the $35,000 to pay the, the, that year. He can do that for up to three years, just do $15,000 for three years. And then at the fourth year, go back three years, and then add in the, the missing $35,000 for each year. So let's say he has this huge windfall of like $100,000. He can go back three years prior and add in the missing cash value of 70% per year to meet. So, so that way he's caught up the catch up period. That's what it's called. So the, what this translates is translates into is a lot of flexibility and huge potential cash value. 
because it's not 100% base, it's only 30% base, 70% paid up additions, and, and pretty much um, earning, of course, compound interest on the paid up additions rider with his own flexibility. Right. So let me ask you something. So the, the in this example, the 30 cents, um, mm-hmm. so you... Is it a requirement to pay at least the, the, the base premium for the policy? Yes, yeah, you okay. have to meet the base premium. Okay, so you have to, like, you do have to pay some money into the policy to cover at least the, the life insurance benefit, mm-hmm. correct? Correct. Okay. Awesome. And, okay, so let's keep going with the example. So he put 50000 a year and then he keeps going. Um, so he is at year three now. Yeah. So what are his options? Okay. As mentioned, there's the first two years of the policy. That's when the fees are going to be the highest. But we're looking at this for the long term, of course. So now let's fast forward to year three and the client has like $100,000 in available cash value. So let's say he borrows up to 90% of that. So he takes out $90,000. His cash value is still there. It's still working for him. Um, It's still building up interest. Now he could use this money. And we have a separate- So he's going to steal- be earning interest on the whole hundred thousand dollars correct yes and that's going to be compound interest correct correct yes okay and, and then we have a separate calculator that we show clients how if they borrowed for example ninety thousand, you know what's the maximum time they could pay it back and we also match this with their illustration side by side to show them how they could pay back the loan while still being ahead of of the policy, you know, in other words, where the policy is still outpacing what they're paying in loan interest, because that's, that's, I think, in my opinion, that's the primary objective of this concept is, is the cheapest way to use your money and have it still grow for you at the same time. Uh, and again, as mentioned earlier, because when you use cash, you can no longer earn interest on that. If you borrow money from other people, you pay interest to them. So it's kind of a way to do both where you're, you're earning interest to yourself, but at the same time, still using the policy. Right, because that interest that you're paying, it's going back to your to your cash value, correct? So you are making money on this also. Exactly. Yeah, it goes back. The interest you pay goes back to an insurance company in which you're a mutual owner of. So you get dividends based off of, you know, not based off of your specific interest repayments, but everybody's interest repayments. The insurance company has a, a few sources of income. One of the sources of income is through private loans. So they give out loans actually to banks even, charge interest on those. And then that becomes their pro- parts of their profits. And then parts of their profits end up in dividends back to the mutual policy owners. All right, cool. So let's now fast forward to year, whatever year it is, but you're 65 and and you are retiring, right? And you put, mm-hmm. you know, for years, 10 or 20 years, you put money into your policy. So what happens then? Yeah, what happens then is we can set up, like for example, if somebody pays for a policy for 20 years, then we can turn off distributions and then, sorry, turn off premium payments and then turn on distributions now. So this way they can earn 20, for the next 20 years, earn money. And typically we've seen this a lot of times where we'll set it up for, they'll pay, you know, for 20 years. And then after 20 years, they can get three times, you know, three, 3.5 times what they put into it every month, you know, for the, for the next 20 years. And then as they are taking out money, what happens is they are building up technically like a loan balance with the insurance company. But of course, because the death benefit is growing so much too, usually more than 10 times what the cash value is, let's say that they pass away at age, let's say they turn on income at age 70. 
and then they pass away at age 90, then whatever they took out of the policy would be subtracted from the death benefit, from the life insurance amount. And then whatever's left will be going, will, will go towards the next generation for the beneficiaries. So this way they're, what they're pretty much doing is using their money for their all of the retirement. And then they still have a life insurance amount. And if anything happens to them at any point during this, they'll be covered too from the life insurance part of it. So either way, you get your money compounded either while you're alive or when you pass away, either way, the money will be compounded back towards you. All right. So, so let me back up because I, I like to, to hear numbers. So let's say, you know, you were saving for 10 years and you end up having a cash value now of a hundred thousand, a million, sorry, a million dollars. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. You put lots of money. So that million dollar, you get to year 65 and you say like, I don't want to keep paying your policies ending right 20 years. You stop paying premium and mm-hmm. you start getting the benefits, right? So then you're going to start getting like a, payment from your policy right and this is coming from where from your cash value from the million dollar cash value from your million dollar cash value okay what if you like let's say you had you know you're 65 now you're 80 and you're still alive and then you use up all your cash value you took all that money out what happens now yeah typically we will make it run until 95 age 95 but let's just say it was not structured properly enough. And then it ended at age 80 and you didn't have any more cash value left. Um, so the, the problem with that is I don't see that happening because we would have structured it and, you know, further enough till age 95. But if, of course, just like anything else, if you funded it until age 80 and there wasn't any more cash value, then at that point, you know, um, there's not much cash. There's, there's no cash value. Then it'd be life insurance only left. But don't you have the debt benefit? Like, so the, yeah, you can draw from the death benefit. It's called an accelerated death benefit rider and it comes with all the policies we structure and pretty much, but you could only use that typically for long-term care. If you can't function, you know, two out of six daily activities and, you, and a physician says that you need long-term care, then you could draw from the death benefit, you know, while you're still alive, you could, you could take out of the larger amount to use for long-term care. Right. Why? So, so in a policy that is $50,000 a year, like mm-hmm. your client, how much that benefit more and less can you get for that a lot yeah in the first year it's like 1.5 million dollars in the first year and it and keeps it, growing right parallel to growing. the to the cash value exactly yep and then so it could you know by the time this client retires he'll probably have you know over well over 10 million dollars in, in death benefits wow and so that money will like you said you can like if you fall you know you're 95 and you fall and then you have to go to the hospital you can start growing money out of this that benefit before you die, right? Yeah, be- because the cost of long-term care is so expensive. You know, the average cost for like a nursing home is like $10,000 a month. So you can, instead of drawing other assets and paying for, you know, cash for that, you can use the death benefit of your policy for that. Wow, wonderful. And so what's going to happen is now, let's say he had like $10 million on that benefit and then he goes to a hospital for like five more years and he uses up, you know, five of those 10 million, then he's, when he dies, his kids are going to get still the leftover money, correct? Correct. Yes. Very, very interesting. So, you know, that's why I kind of, you know, started looking at this um, concept is because your money is growing and you're, you have, you know, you're able to use it at the same time, but then you're also, you know, getting dividends and Mm -hmm. you have the debt penalty that is growing as well. Um, so 
you know, it's a really, really interesting um, and concept. I know that it took me a while to, to grasp the whole thing, uh, but I hope that this episode helps you, you know, get it in your mind and, and start investigating more. And you can reach out to Sari uh, if you have questions about it. And uh, so let me ask you, do you have any other um, thing that you want to mention before we, we uh, finish? Yeah, so I mentioned how like banks use this, like the banks use a strategy. And I think it's, you know, what I really want to tell the clients a lot of times is think like a bank, you know, do what banks do instead of just giving them money, instead of borrowing money from them, uh, you know, uh, do what banks do. This is exactly what they use. They use whole life policies, you know, worth billions of dollars. They borrow from that. They loan it out to people via credit cards, you know, mortgages, lines of credit. They charge interest on those and they're earning interest in the policy. So I think it's it's essential to think like a bank more than just an investor or more than just somebody who invests in a product, but think like of owning the product that you're investing into. What's actually not an investment, it's a savings plan, but think like a bank though. So this, you know, do people use this to do private lending? Yeah, absolutely. Yes, for sure. They could borrow at 5% simple interest, loan it out, you know, at 8% to the clients. To the, to the borrowers, make money off that and make money in the policy at the same time while controlling the payback period, of course, and earning tax deferred growth. So as they're making money in these policies and growing them, they don't have to pay taxes on the growth in the policy. So let's say you, you know, you do what you said, you do um, borrow it at 5% and then lend it at 8%. Do you have to put that 8% earnings back into the account or do you keep the 3% difference? So good question. So, so pretty much uh, when you borrow, whatever you borrow from the insurance company, you have to pay back plus simple interest. And then sometimes the policy, depending on the company, depending on the product and depending on the way it's structured, it might have room. Um, we have one product where it's a single premium policy with the option to add more into the later years. With that policy, you probably be able to do that. You could borrow at 5%, loan out the money, get your money back from the borrower, principal plus interest, and then roll everything back into the policy at a higher amount and then earn compound interest on that and then do that all over again. But you can't always do that in every situation. It depends on the company and the product it's with. Right. But otherwise then you would keep the difference out of your policy, right? Like that yeah. 3%, the difference between the eight and the five, the 3% you would keep it and that would be income to you. Yeah, exactly. Correct. Okay. Well, that's still good, right? Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> you're using money that, you know, is, is compounding interest uh, for you, and then you're borrowing it and then making money again, uh, yep. you know, lending it. So that's amazing. Um, all right. So, um, you know, the other thing that I wanted to mention, you made me think about this when you were uh, saying to think about a bank, because, um, you know, some people are using this to buy a car instead mm -hmm. of financing it through a um, regular bank, they just get the money out of their policy and then they uh, pay for the car, right? For the vehicle and, and large purchases like this. They actually even set up new policies just to make a purchase like this, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Correct. So how is this? Um, I think like if you can explain to people, how is that beneficial to do this, this type of a thing, setting up a policy just to buy, to make a large purchase? Okay. Like, let's think about the car example. Let's say, for example, you have three options. One, to buy the car cash. Two, to borrow from a financial institution. Or three, to use your bank on yourself type whole life policy. In option one, 
um, let's say the car is $30,000. If you spent $30,000 on the car, then five years later, you know, you don't have the $30,000 anymore because you spent it on the car and you also lost interest opportunity because you could have earned on that cash. And of course, the car five years later is going to be worth less from year one. So now you have a depreciated car. No, you don't have the cash anymore. And then you lost opportunity cost that you could have earned on that 30,000. And you paid somebody, right? Like it cost yeah. you money. Exactly. And the interest went to, uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, then option two, the interest, uh, you borrow from a financial institution, you pay the interest to the lender, it goes to them, and then you don't get to recoup that. You have, you let's say you pay it off in five years, you now have a depreciated car without cash anymore. And again, the loss of opportunity cost you could have earned. Now option three, you use your bank on your self-type whole life policy. You borrow $30,000 from the policy. Of course, assuming you have enough in the cash value to do this, you borrow at 30,000, you pay back over five years. Now just doing like quick math, you know, after five years, you know, you might have $40,000 now in cash value or, or your policy increased by $40,000 and you have your car. So now you've kept your car, you paid it off for cash, you, um, you have your policy, it's appreciated too, and you were able to recoup all that interest. And now you can do it all over again. So you get to keep your car and keep the cash and keep the interest on, on that cash. And the same thing goes for real estate investing. If you finance a property, you know, and for, let's say you, it was a rental property, and then you were able to use a rental income to pay back the life insurance loan. After five years, you have the property. It's worth more now, five years later, of course, it's real estate. And you have more cash value in the policy. You, have, you, you get to keep everything. You get to recoup everything that you're spending. Right. And, and that's why it's called bank on yourself because yeah. you are like banking. Uh, and it, this is amazing. Even faster with the last example you did with real estate. If you refinance, like in two years, you can get all that money and pay it back. And then you keep the property, you keep the interest that you pay to yourself. And then now you can do it again and you have the property that is giving you income. So, you know, right there, I think it's the, the, the main thing why this strategy is so incredibly interesting for investors to mm -hmm. use. Yeah, I agree. Mm -hmm. All right, sorry. This was awesome. Thank you so much for joining me today in this special edition of Deal Closers. I am super excited to share with people uh, about this concept. So tell my audience, where can they find you? Yeah, they can go to our website, Finn assetprotection.com. It's F-I-N, assetprotection.com. And there's a link you can schedule a free appointment. Um, and all of our clients, most of them are in different states. So we could do everything virtually over the phone or over Zoom. And it's finassetprotection.com. Are you in any social media? Uh, just LinkedIn. LinkedIn. So if yeah. you want to find him, you can find him also on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. And if you are enjoying this episode and you are learning something today, don't forget to subscribe to our channel. And I hope you had a wonderful time today. And thank you, Sari, for being here today. Thank you, Anna. Thank you so much for having me on. Bye-bye. This was Real Estate Deal Closers with Annette Tali, brought to you by Tali Investments. We hope that you enjoyed this episode. Our goal is to provide amazing value on your real estate journey. Connect online at www.taliinvestments.com where you can find this episode and more. Did you like this episode? Subscribe, like, and share.